You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about the climate crisis. Joining me is Dr. Harlene Marwa. Dr. Marwa earned her BS in health promotion and disease prevention and then an MS in global medicine from the University of Southern California. She then completed her medical degree at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences and is now a pediatric resident at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. In relation to her expertise in climate change, Dr. Marwa engaged in collaborative work with the United Nations on the Paris Agreement, founded Medical Students for a Sustainable Future, and earned the 2020 Emerging Physician Leader Award from Healthcare Without Harm. So thank you so much for joining us today and welcome Dr. Harlene Marwa. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to share more about this intersection of climate change and health. Great. So let's start off with just understanding a little bit more about how you came to develop this professional interest in climate change. Yes. So thank you. So whenever I talk about climate change, I always find it helpful to take a step back and define the issue. So when I think about weather, that refers to the current conditions in a specific place at a specific time. For instance, today in Philadelphia, it is 49 degrees and rainy. Climate, on the other hand, refers to an average condition over a longer period of time. For example, summers in Philadelphia have become increasingly warmer on average. And then finally, climate change refers to long-term shifts in temperatures and weather patterns. Climate change is often used synonymously with global warming, but includes so much more than that. Intense droughts, water scarcity, severe fires, changing sea levels, flooding, declining biodiversity, and more. My professional interest in climate change stems from witnessing and experiencing how the environment can influence our health. So personally, I grew up in a region of Southern California with one of the lowest air quality ratings in the country. There were many times in my own childhood when it was unsafe to play outdoors due to the air quality. And while I did not understand it at the time, I was experiencing the influence of climate change on health and on my community from a young age, as heat wave seasons extended and as droughts became more prevalent. Later, as I studied the social determinants of health through school and through work, it became clear that climate change is a major threat to health. My professional work in climate change led me to the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change 21st Conference of Parties, or the COP21, where the historic Paris Agreement was signed. It was at this meeting where I was inspired by the doctors who amplified their patients' stories and elevated voices that were not traditionally represented at decision-making tables, including children. Now, as a pediatric resident, I see parallels between my work in climate advocacy and clinical medicine. Both fields require one to focus on preventative care and be forward-thinking. Both fields require us to collaborate across discipline, and both fields encourage us to empower the rising generation. 
Well, I love that. Like so many pediatricians, you took something from your own childhood and have now developed a professional interest to impact the childhood of future generations. And so as you hinted at, climate change has been associated with a number of pediatric conditions, and that's why we as pediatricians are talking about this today. Some of those conditions include things like allergies, asthma, heat-related illness, foodborne infections, preterm birth, low birth weight, and mental health, among other things. Some of these seem rather intuitively related to climate crisis, like heat-related illness, for example. But others are not conditions that we typically talk about in relation to climate. So let's talk about just a few of these in more depth to help identify the links here for folks who might not know much about why we're talking about these things in relation to climate. So first, we'll start prenatally. So how is the climate crisis impacting things like birth weight and prematurity? So climate change is projected to increase pollutants like ozone and particulate matter. We know these pollutants can be inhaled into our lungs and have negative health consequences, especially during pregnancy. There is a strong negative association between exposure to particulate matter or a type of pollutant during pregnancy and infant birth weight. Many studies have shown that as exposure to air pollution increases, so do the risks of fetal growth restriction, preterm birth, and neonatal mortality. The climate crisis is also increasing the frequency, duration, and severity of heat waves. Exposure to higher temperatures has also been shown to increase the risk for preterm birth. And as climate change grows more severe, with eight of the 10 hottest years on record occurring in just the last decade, more and more babies are likely to be emerging too early in a too hot world. It's just, again, amazing how important the environment is prenatally. And we both know that things like low birth weight and prematurity are associated with many long-term health outcomes. And so something like climate is not only impacting these factors about the birth, but for the child's entire life, potentially. Mm -hmm. Another topic that we both know is really important right now is the pediatric mental health crisis. And what many of us may not recognize, though, is the link between mental health and climate change. So can you tell us a little bit more about how those are related? Thank you for asking this question. I think that it has become increasingly critical and relevant that we are addressing the pediatric mental health crisis. And so we know not only are children uniquely vulnerable to the physical health impacts of climate change, but they also face these mental health risks that you talked about. So we know that there is something called adverse childhood events, or ACEs, that can lead to toxic stress on developing brains and bodies. Climate change is increasing the frequency and intensity of extreme weather events, like storms, floods, wildfires. Ultimately, these disasters can become adverse childhood events as they destroy homes and infrastructure and lead to significant distress, anxiety, depression, or PTSD among children. These risks are only further compounded by existing inequities that are embedded in structural racism. Beyond extreme weather events, learning about climate change and its long-term forecasts, also known as eco-anxiety, can be associated with emotional distress. Studies among children have shown that they often experience an additional layer of confusion, betrayal, or even abandonment because of perceived adult inaction toward climate change. And while climate activism may be protective for some groups, it can also be a source of additional stress. 
So it's really important that as pediatricians, we're talking to our patients about this and understanding how they are interacting with our changing environment. Yeah, such an important link. And as you mentioned from your own personal story in Southern California, we know that things like wildfires impact not only the air quality that you mentioned, but again, the anxiety about could something happen to my house? Is my family going to have to leave? Or even just why can't I play outside? It's hard mm-hmm. for young children to understand some of these really complex issues in our society. Absolutely. And I think it's so important that we're recognizing how the climate crisis is overlaying the COVID-19 pandemic and the multiple current events that are influencing how children are experiencing the world. So one more. Let's talk about how climate change impacts infectious diseases. I've read that things like Ebola, tuberculosis, and yellow fever may worsen and spread due to climate change. But can you explain how this happens? Absolutely. Our risk for infectious disease is increasing in the wake of climate change. Many of the infections you listed are transmitted through water or by vectors like mosquitoes, and these variables are highly sensitive to climate. So changing seasonal patterns have given mosquitoes and ticks additional time to reproduce, spread disease, and expand their habitat. For example, in the United States, especially in the Northeast, we are seeing an increased geographic range where ticks spread Lyme disease. Similarly, if we look at malaria, we can see climate change is broadening the range of mosquito species that spread it and increasing the number of people at risk. We're seeing similar escalations take place for diseases like dengue, yellow fever, and Zika. And while climate change is making environments more suitable for some species like the ticks and the mosquitoes, it's also forcing some animals away from their natural habitats. And of course, movement of animals into new areas globally will increase opportunities for contact between human and animals and has the potential for spread of zoonotic diseases. Well, I definitely don't need any more mosquitoes or ticks in my life. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you for scaring me about that. So it's hard, though, not to talk about health equity when we discuss the climate crisis. And you touched on this already a little bit. But we know that some populations are more significantly impacted by environmental issues such as pollution, poor sanitation, flooding or wildfires. So how will these disparities continue to worsen if we don't make changes? Yeah, thank you for raising this important point. While climate change will certainly impact everyone, we know it will disproportionately affect historically marginalized communities. Air pollution in particular is going to be a major cause of health disparities. The 2021 American Lung Association's annual State of the Air report found that people of color are over three times more likely than white populations to be breathing the most polluted air. And we know that damage from air pollution can lead to chronic states of inflammation and long-term airway damage. While extreme heat and other hazardous weather events have implications for everyone, these also disproportionately affect low-income people and people of color due to underlying social inequities and structural racism. One factor that contributes to disparities in heat exposure is residential segregation. This stems all the way back to historic housing policies, including redlining, that have resulted in residential segregation that pushed many low-income people and people of color into neighborhoods with fewer resources and more limited opportunities. These issues have been further exacerbated by disinvestment in those areas over time. 
And ultimately, this disproportionately exposes certain populations to more environmental health risks, including higher levels of exposure to pollution, like we talked about, hazardous waste, and urban heat. We see, if you look at neighborhoods of these maps, that certain areas and certain neighborhoods that were ranked lower in the redlining process continue to experience disparities in tree coverage to this day. And as health professionals, it's so important that we are not only aware of these issues and these risks, but that we're thinking about them when we're serving our patients and advocating for policy change. Yeah, and I know this is something that you and I both really care about and see in our patient population in Philadelphia, but is certainly not unique to cities like Philadelphia. And so, so important that we all consider how we can mitigate some of these disparities when we're talking about climate. Let's move with that in mind into discussing how we can put all of what you just taught us into action. So let's start locally. What can primary care pediatricians do in their practice to screen for or counsel about the effects of climate change in their patients? So I always think about what our patients are looking to get information on. So EcoAmerica published a survey in 2019 that showed that 67% of Americans trust health professionals for information and guidance on climate change. However, only 19% of Americans have heard about this issue from their physicians. I think this reinforces that our patients are looking to us to learn about the health impacts of climate change and do expect us to be informed on this issue. I think it's particularly important for us to be thinking about climate change when providing anticipatory guidance to our patients. Heading into the spring and summer, I like to fold it in to my guidance about managing heat. So I talk to my patients about heat wave seasons getting longer and the importance of being prepared earlier than previously required. Then I also ask about protective factors, including access to cooling centers or air conditioning. I think by having these conversations with our patients and families, we can better prepare them to navigate the changing environment and we can also assess for eco-anxiety. Further, by learning about their biggest concerns, we'll be able to become better advocates for them as well. Right. I love this idea of folding it into our anticipatory guidance, and particularly around seasons in those areas of the country where we have such seasonal variation, because it doesn't have to be a full PowerPoint presentation about the impact of <laughs> climate on pediatric health. It's really about making it meaningful to the patient in front of you. And sometimes that is something that is developmentally and seasonally appropriate for that moment. So let's now expand our reach a little more broadly. For pediatricians who are looking for advocacy opportunities, how can they get involved in promoting policies that protect children's health? So the American Academy of Pediatrics has a policy on climate change, and I want to call out one line in there that I think calls us to action. It says, pediatricians have a uniquely valuable role to play in the societal response to climate change. And I think that taking a step back we know that pediatricians play a unique role in the community, not only advocating for children who often don't have voices at the policy table, but also thinking about how children interact with our environments, whether it's the built environment, including schools, transportation, or our changing environment, including climate change. And so some ways that pediatricians can engage in policies that protect children's health might include promoting medical education opportunities so that our colleagues 
can become educated on this topic and start thinking about how they're going to incorporate it into their clinical practice. People can work on reducing the carbon and environmental footprint of health facilities, including hospitals, medical offices, or transportation services. We can work on educating children, families, and communities on emergency and disaster readiness. And then finally, we can advocate for local, national, and international policies that reduce greenhouse gas emissions, as well as adaptation strategies that improve preparedness for anticipated climate-associated effects. I think that often working on climate change can be very daunting when you're doing it alone. It feels like this big, intangible issue, and it can often feel like any work we're doing, we're not seeing impact. But I think if we're working through building coalitions across disciplines at local and national levels, we'll start to recognize how that impact can spread with collaboration. Pediatricians, again, are uniquely positioned to advocate for all of these things, and ultimately, these will all have positive effects on child and family health. That's great. Lots of good tips about how to get involved. And you mentioned collaboration. So you and I are both at CHOP, and CHOP recently announced, along with the University of Pennsylvania, that they are collaborating to lead a Philadelphia Regional Center for Children's Environmental Health, which will focus on asthma prevention, lead exposure and harm reduction, air pollution, and reduction of exposure to endocrine-disrupting chemicals. So why do you think it's so important for children's hospitals to engage in work like this? I was so excited to read about the amazing work of this center. As we've talked about today, we know that children are uniquely vulnerable to the impacts of these environmental changes. And so having our hospital be on the front lines of leading prevention efforts is going to be so important moving forward. Children's hospitals in particular see the consequences of these exposures every day in the clinical setting. They're uniquely positioned to tackle these issues, not only because they're equipped with experts in the clinical complications of these exposures, but they'll also be able to measure the impacts of these initiatives in a very real way. By engaging in community-led work, there is opportunity to decrease hospital admissions and to improve community health overall. And like you said, sometimes when we're working together, we can feel like we're not just one person trying to make a difference alone, but we are part of a bigger movement. And so I think it's great that we're all coming together around this issue in the healthcare field. Now, in that vein, when we are sitting here listening to this podcast and thinking like, well, what can I do right now? I'm really busy. I have a lot going on and I like this topic and I want to do something to make a difference, but I feel a little bit helpless. Let's try to leave those listeners with one concrete step that they can take today to help improve environmental health, either for themselves or for their children or for their patient population. Yeah, I think that as we've talked about today, there's a lot of different ways through which climate changes influence health, both through direct and indirect pathways. And it can often feel very daunting to get involved and take action. I think if there was one concrete step that I would encourage listeners to go off today and continue, it would be to simply talk about the intersection of climate change and health. I think by doing that, you're making your colleagues and your community more aware of this important intersection, and you can start thinking about ways to incorporate this work into your everyday clinical practice, whether it's thinking about anticipatory guidance or exposures that are leading children to hospital admissions. 
ultimately, I think that talking about this issue, recognizing its importance, signals to the children that we serve that we are thinking about this issue and we do care about it. And I think that ultimately that will give the children hope that the adults are listening and that they care about the future of their world and that we want them to grow up in a healthier, more sustainable world. Well, Dr. Marwa, you've taken that step today by teaching all of us a little bit more about the climate crisis. And I am so inspired by you and your work. So thank you for sharing that with us today and teaching us a little bit more about this issue and how we can get more actively involved with it. So thanks for sharing all of that with us today and with your patients and coworkers at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat.